This morning, we're going to continue on with part two of thinking biblically about marriage. Last week was part one, and we looked at the Old Testament foundation of marriage, and we saw how due to the fall of man, the sin of Adam and Eve in the garden, that all of the conflict that exists in marriages today, ever since that fall, all go back to what God said would be the natural consequence of man and woman's rebellion against God. And it would be that the woman would try to rebel against her husband and rule over her husband, and the husband would try to forcefully dominate his wife. It, their rebellion against each other and their lack of love for each other all grew out of their lack of love for God and their rebellion against God. And all of the New Testament instruction is aimed at addressing that natural consequence of rebelling against God, the, having now a sin nature that would rebel against the instruction of God. And that's what goes on today in marital conflict. We went on to look at the New Testament instruction to women, which was a very simple instruction in one sense. It had to do with the concept of submission to the husband's loving leadership. We learned also that in our culture, in our day, in Bible-believing Christian churches, that message resonated until about the mid-1950s with the rise of radical feminism. And then we saw that even the Bible-believing church was influenced by the message of the world. So that even for Christian wives, the concept of submission to the loving leadership of the husband is something that's questioned, something that's even considered maybe inappropriate despite what we saw the clear wording of Scripture was. In this New Testament instruction, we looked at the wives last week, and I promised you we would look at the husbands this week. And frankly, I was floored by the response of the wives last week. Uh, so many of you spoke to me, and for some reason, you were blessed. And I know what that reason is. It's the true teacher of Scripture, the Holy Spirit, who impressed upon your heart the truths of Scripture. In fact, I had two ladies tell me how encouraging the message was. Wow, that says an awful lot about the women of Grace Gospel Church, that they would accept the instruction of God lovingly, willingly, desiring to receive whatever God has in his word and by the power of his indwelling Holy Spirit to live out its truth. I, I mean, I, I've spoken on marriage before at other churches, but I've never had that kind of response as I did last Sunday and again this Sunday morning from the ladies of Grace Gospel Church. This says something about your spiritual maturity, your love and devotion and commitment to the Lord Jesus Christ and his word. 
Husbands, our wives have set a pretty high bar for us as Christian husbands, for us to try to attain to in the reception of the truth and instructions God's word has for Christian husbands today. Before we look at that, next time, I just want to remind you, we're going to consider two very sensitive subjects. We're going to consider divorce and remarriage, and we're going to consider singleness. And we want to look at them not only biblically and theologically accurate, but we want to look at them pastorally. We want to put a face on divorce and remarriage, a face on singleness, because when you see the face of someone you care about, that softens and tempers the hard edges of your theology, of your rigid biblical interpretation. doesn't change truth into falsehood, but it changes the way we apply that truth in a loving way, the way the heart of the Lord would apply it to his little lambs, to his sheep. We also need to keep in mind that if you've never been married or you're not married now, what application does last week's message and this week's message and even part three, what does that have to do with me? Oh, sure, the singleness part might, but you haven't gotten there yet, Paul. What's in it for me now? We mentioned last week, and I'll remind you this week, that what we're talking about here are relationships. And virtually everything that is mentioned that the wife ought to do and that the husband ought to practice is true of other interpersonal relationships. Parents and children, to some degree. Brothers and sisters in the Lord, in the local church. You will find other instructions, commands, and exhortations in the epistles, in the letters written by the apostles that basically instruct us in the same way in our relationship with each other, in our relationship as an employee to an employer or an employer to the employee, as neighbors in our community. The same kinds of basic principles of instruction are found in commanded and exhorted between all interpersonal relationships for the believer in Christ. And so the principles that are found here in last week's message and this week's message you can put into practice in your larger family, your extended family. You can put them into practice at the workplace. There are other passages of Scripture that will teach those same principles. So there is something here for you, even if you find yourself single at this point in time. So we're going to address husbands today. And this might even be a little heavier burden than was placed on the wife, uh, the Christian wives last week. But, men, you, you have broad shoulders. You're able to take this. The last part of this message is going to be a mini-sermon within this message. It's going to look at what are the characteristics of the love that should exist in marriage. 
This will be familiar to some of you. This is the only thing I share at weddings when I'm asked to speak from God's word to the bride and the groom. I will share those six S's. There are six words that begin with the letter S found in the passage that our brother Gilson read for us this morning. And so it's sort of a mini-sermon within this message, and we'll look at those. But first, let's address the husbands. Husbands, love your wives. Now, what word don't we understand, husbands? Which one of those four words? We understand them with our head, but do we put them in practice with our, li- with our lives? Now, I've entitled this, Love Your Wife Like God Loves Us. In the Greek language that Paul wrote these words in, there are multiple words, four and a fifth one, but four are found uh, in many of the ancient Greek writings and several of them in the, in the New Testament. Different types of love. Now, we just talk about love in English. You know, oh, I love ice cream. Well, no. You know, I remember when my daughter was really little, and uh, uh, my wife said, oh, I love, and I can't remember what it was. Maybe it was ice cream. And my little daughter says, that means you're going to marry it. You know? Okay. We use the word love, but the Greeks had different words for love. They had a word for brotherly love, the love of not just uh, blood brothers, blood sisters, brother and sister, but of friends, brothers and sisters in the Lord. They had a word for familial love, parents for children, children for parents, brothers for, for sisters as well, within the human family, within the natural nuclear and extended family. Uh, they had a word for marital love, the, hus- the love of a husband for a wife. Paul doesn't use any of those words here. He uses a word, and I don't usually tell you what the Greek words are, but I know you've heard this. Here, it's the verb, agapao. Agape is the noun that this verb is derived from. This is the word, love, that we sang about. For God so loved the world that he gave, his one and only son, to save us. Whoever believes in him will live forever. We sang that over and over. In John 3.16, for God so loved the world that he gave. This is the word for love. In marriage counseling, a husband might say to me, I don't feel love for my wife any longer. I want to divorce her. I just don't love her. Well, what does feelings have to do with it? It's husbands, love your wife. What kind of feelings did God have for us in John 3, 16? Oh, I love those little sinners. Aren't they so cute? Rebelling down there, shaking their fist in my face. Romans chapter 5, verses 6, 8, and 10. For while we are still helpless at the right time, Christ died for the ungodly. Not very cute, is it? Ungodly? Verse 8, but God demonstrates his own love 
toward us in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Sinners. Ungodly sinners. Verse 10, for if while we were enemies, we were reconciled to God through the death of his son, much more having been reconciled, we shall be saved by his life. We were enemies. God loved his enemies, and he gave his one and only son to save us, that whoever believes in him might have everlasting life. I don't love my wife, somebody says. She's like an enemy to me. God loved his enemies. That's the kind of love God had. It's not a feeling. He doesn't use the Greek word for love between a husband and wife here. He uses the word that describes the love God had for us. It's an act of the will. It's a decision. God decided to send his one and only son to save us. Husbands, make the decision to love your wives. Love your wives in the same way God loved us. This doesn't mean you can't have feelings for your wife. No, just because you have this love doesn't mean you can't have other forms of love. But you must have this love. Whether you feel emotional love and affection for your wife or not is completely beside the point. The command here is, Husbands, love your wife. That's a command, both in the original Greek language and in English. It's not optional. Oh, it's a sunny day. I think I'll love my wife today. No, it's not optional. No matter what. Husbands, we took vows. For richer, for poorer, for better, for worse, in sickness and in health, till death do us part. Husbands, love your wife. When will God cast us away, those who have trusted and believed in him? Nothing, if you were here Thursday, nothing shall be able to separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. Nothing. Husbands, love your wife. Anger and bitterness are not love. Husbands, you have a very clear indication that you are not loving your wife, that I am not loving my wife the way God loved us if we have anger or bitterness. That's a clear indication. We can't profess to love our wife as Christ loved the church, as God loved us, if we have anger and bitterness against them. This word embittered could be translated soured. Husbands, don't be a sourpuss towards your wife. It's used of water that is undrinkable, that was bitter or sour or somehow spoiled and rotten and you couldn't drink it. Do not be embittered against your wife. Now, in 1 Peter chapter 3, Peter lays some heavy instructions on the Christian husband. You husbands, in the same way. In the same way as what? Remember how he began chapter 3 with verse 1? Wives, in the same way, 
Or wives likewise. You husbands likewise. Like what? I would say there's three ways to understand this in the same way. It follows the first six verses, which are instructions to the wife. And what is one of the key things that the wife is instructed to do? A gentle and quiet spirit. A gentle and quiet spirit. Angry and bitterness. Anger and bitterness are not gentle and quiet. Husbands, in the same way, we should have a calm demeanor towards our wives. It shouldn't be an anger, an angry demeanor. It should be gentle, quiet, as a display of loving leadership to the wife. Remember when we looked at the first six verses in 1 Peter 3 that address the wives in the same way, we had to go back to chapter 2. And what was at the very end of chapter 2? It was the example of Christ. Christ also suffered for you, leaving you in an example that you should follow in his footsteps. Who committed no sin, nor was any falsehood found in his mouth. When he was reviled, he did not revile in return. When he suffered, he uttered no threat but kept entrusting himself to him who judges righteously. Wives in the same way. Now husbands too, in the same way, following the example of Christ. When he was reviled, he didn't revile in return. When he suffered, he uttered no threats, but kept entrusting himself to him, to God the Father, who judges righteously. Husbands, in our love for our wives... We're not only to be gentle and quiet and not a forceful bully trying to dominate her and scare her into submission, we are to follow the example of Christ and not return reviling with reviling, not return any suffering with threats, but entrust ourselves to God who judges all things righteously. Before the example of Christ in 1 Peter 2, and this is the third way that we ought to look at this in the same way, there were instructions to Christians to submit to government in verses 10 to 12. And then in verses 13 to uh, 17, there were instructions relative to employees to employers or in those days, slaves to masters. There is submission involved there. Husbands, you understand that we also are to submit? What are we to submit to? Paul makes it very clear in 1 Corinthians chapter 11. He says this in verse 3, but I want you to understand that Christ is the head of every man, and the man is the head of woman, and God is the head of Christ. Husbands, we are to submit to Jesus Christ. Submit to his example of loving leadership that we'll look at very soon in Ephesians chapter 5. 
Our submission is to be to Christ. Through the pen of Paul, through the pen of Peter, the inspired words of the Holy Spirit were written. Love your wives. Are we in submission to that? Do we love our wives the way God loved the world? The way Christ, as we'll see, loves the church. Our submission is to the instruction of Scripture, to the headship of Christ. What Christian man here will say, that's inappropriate for me to submit to the headship of Christ. See what it's all based on? The last line, the underlined words, God is the head of Christ. The entire concept of submission to any form of authority, whether it be to the Christian, to governments, uh, slaves to masters, employees to employers, wives to husbands, the husband to Christ, it is all grounded and founded in eternity past on God being the head of Christ, God the Father being the head of Christ. That is the basis. That is the foundation of every aspect of submission. If it's wrong for the wife to be in submission to her husband, then it's wrong for the man to be in submission to Christ. In fact, it's wrong for Christ to be in submission to God the Father. But that's ridiculous. I only state it to sh so that you can hear how ridiculous that would be. Christ said, I always do those things to please the Father. He was in submission to the Father. If the verses from 1 Peter chapter 2. When he was reviled, he did not revile in return. When he suffered, he uttered no threat, but kept on entrusting himself to him who judges righteously. He trusted in the Father and submitted to the Father's will for his life. Husbands must be understanding. Peter says, husbands, in the same way, live with your wives in an understanding way. Husbands, you don't want your wife to be like you. You didn't marry another guy just like you. You wouldn't want to be married to another guy just like you. You want to be married to someone who's different. The way Eve completed Adam and was a helper to Adam, that's what your wife is to you. That's what my wife is to me. If, Like I said last week, if both of you were identical, one of you wouldn't be necessary. Husbands, you are not the only ones with strengths, strong points in your marriage. Your wife has strong points as well. Learn to recognize those. Rely on her strong points. Learn from those things which complete you, that you are incomplete without. Learn to appreciate each other. You know, so uh, I, let me just throw a number out there, just to illustrate. Probably 90% of the things that result in conflicts between husbands and wives. Maybe 95%, whatever you think it is, it's going to be a high number. It's not that the wife is wrong or the husband is wrong. It's not wrong, it's just 
different. Being different doesn't automatically make it wrong. It's just different. Maybe it's not the way you would have done something. But that doesn't make her way wrong. Oh, but my way, I'd save a half hour. Okay, well, maybe yours is more time efficient. Maybe hers results in a more aesthetically appealing or beautiful end product. Who's to say that her end goal is wrong, but yours of getting an extra half hour to wax your pickup truck is right? It's just different. Learn to appreciate the differences. Most of the arguments are over differences, minor differences. Live with our wives in an understanding way. We are, as Christian husbands, to show honor to our wife. This word honor, depending on the context, you could translate this word respect. Respect your wives. I don't know any woman who feels loved if she's not respected. Respect your wives. How should you respect her? As a fellow heir of the grace of life. Women are not second-class citizens in the kingdom of God. They are fellow heirs. They are on the same level as any man in the kingdom of God. In fact, if there is a hierarchy in eternity, husbands, most of us are going to be taking orders from our wives. We'll inherit the same salvation, but if there is a ranking in heaven as to who gives direction in the worship and service of God and Christ throughout eternity, husbands, most of us are going to be taking instructions from our wives for all eternity. Husbands must show honor. This word honor can also be translated value. It's used of gold and silver and money, things that have value, temporal value. Husbands, do you value your wife more than your $50,000 pickup truck? We should have Place our wives, place upon our wives great value. What does it say in Proverbs? The virtuous wife who can find her worth is far above rubies. Do you value your wife like that? You married, for the most part, good Christian women. You didn't marry Jezebel or Delilah. Show her honor. Show her respect. Value her and her opinions. Peter gives one reason for understanding and honor. If it's not enough for us to love our wives so that we follow Christ's example and we love the way God and Christ loved us, if that's not enough, then we have a somewhat self-serving reason. God knows our hearts. He knows we don't always desire what pleases him the most, but there's still some of us in there, isn't there, men? 
from time to time. One reason to love your wives is so that your prayers will not be hindered. It's not just the prayers of the wife and husband together. But have you ever prayed for something, husbands? And it seemed like God said no. Or you're still waiting for an answer. Or it's like God didn't hear your prayer. He didn't answer. One of the reasons is that maybe you're not dwelling with your wife in an understanding way and granting her honor. Maybe it's you, not your wife, that is hindering the answers to prayer that you would like. This is one reason for dwelling with your wife in an understanding way and granting her honor, respect, valuing her. Her worth is far above rubies. Let's look quickly at the six S's of the love that should exist in marriage. Some of this will address the wife at the very beginning and near the end. But much of it, at least five of the six points, even the sixth to some degree, the very first one, all applies to husbands as well. It's really a two-way street here, and we'll come to understand why as we go through these verses. The first thing to understand about the love that should exist in marriage is that it's a submissive love. Wives, be subject to your own husbands as to the Lord. For the husband is the head of the wife, as Christ also is the head of the church, he himself being the savior of the body. But as the church is subject to Christ, so also the wives ought to be to their husbands in everything. Now, we're not going to go into detail on this verse. We spent a lot of time on this last week. If you missed it, uh, listen to it or watch it on our website. You, you get the audio, uh, the videos there, and there is the slideshow as well. So I don't want to spend any more time on this. The wives were beaten up enough last week, and they, and they took it very, very well. So the love that should exist in marriage should be a submissive love. And again, husbands, remember, submission applies to us in marriage as well. We need to submit to the example of Christ. So it applies to us as well. Our love is a submissive love. We choose to love our wife to follow the example of Christ. Husbands, love your wife just as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. This was a selfless love. This was a self-sacrificing love. He laid down his life for the church. He gave everything he had. He left the glories of heaven, took upon himself the form of a man. For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, Paul writes, that though he was rich, yet for your sakes he became poor, that you through his poverty might become rich. He laid down his life. He left the glories of heaven. He became a man and not the emperor of the world that he should have been, that he one day will be when he returns and establishes his kingdom upon the earth. He took a lowly position, a bondservant, to serve man by carrying out the will of God. To do for you and I what we could not do for ourselves when he bore our sins in his body on the cross. 
Husbands, we are to love our wife in the same way. He didn't, he didn't hold back his blood. He shed his blood. He breathed his last. He died. Christian husbands, I believe that all of you, if your wife was about to get hit by a vehicle, you would grab her, toss her out of the way, even if it would strike you. But, you know, that would be an immediate reaction. That would be reflexive to do that. What Christ asks us to do, what God asks us to do, is every day, moment by moment, lay down our life for our wife. Give ourselves up for her. Give our selfish desires up for her. Moment by moment, decision by decision, day by day. That's much harder. That's not just a knee-jerk reaction, a reflexive response. That is an act of the will. Just like God so loved the world, an act of the will. We are to love our wives in the exact same way, just as. You could translate that exactly as. Christ loved the church, and he laid down his life. He gave up everything for her. This is the number one reason that wives are not submissive to husbands. Because husbands don't love their wives as Christ loved the church. What wife would not willingly follow that husband's leadership in the marriage if the husband always put her first and foremost, her desires, her righteous desires, her welfare, her good before his own. If a wife knows that her husband is thinking of her first and foremost when he makes decisions and asks her to follow, I don't know the Christian wife who would not far more often than not follow that leadership. Husbands, we need to have a selfless, self-sacrificing love for our wives. Jesus Christ was completely selfless. I do only those things that please the Father. He did nothing that pleased himself, first and foremost. It was the Father's will. It was a self-sacrificing love. He laid down his life, not just on the cross, but every day that he lived. It's a sanctifying love. Husbands, we're to love our wife so that Christ gave himself up for the church so that he might sanctify her, sanctify the church, having cleansed her by the washing of water with the word. Now, as we read this, you've probably heard uh, biblical teaching on this verse before, whether it be on the radio or whether it be at a Bible study or in a local church on a Sunday morning, maybe on Christian television, maybe you read it in a book. And so often, 
this is aimed only at husbands teach your wife God's word. I'd like to suggest that that's not the primary intent here of this verse. Just knowing God's word doesn't cleanse. It's living a holy life that is clean in the eyes of God. Just knowing God's word does not mean that we don't have any spot or wrinkle. How often do you and I sin, brothers and sisters, against what we know to be true in God's word? It happens, doesn't it? Holy and blameless. How does just knowing God's word mean automatically we're holy and blameless? It doesn't. We have to live out by the power of the indwelling Holy Spirit the truths that are in Scripture. What this is talking about in verse 26 is not simply teaching God's word to our wife, not simply answering her questions. It's living out God's word. That will have a greater influence over your wife when she sees that her husband is not a hypocrite. Seeing a professing Christian husband ignore the teachings of God's word, living the way he desires in his flesh to live, will do more to embolden her to follow that example. There won't be washing of water. There won't be cleansing. There will be spot and wrinkle. She won't be holy and blameless. Husbands, you must model God's word, obedience to God's word by your own life. If you want your wife to respect you, to honor you, to love you, for her to submit to your loving leadership of her, your Christ-like love and leadership of her. It's a sanctifying love. We've seen it's a submissive love. It's a selfless, self-sacrificing love. It's a sanctifying love. It involves in the Christian marriage, the husband and the wife, but it begins, this instruction is to the husband to live in obedience to God's word as an example to your wife so that she can follow that example. Paul, in writing to the Corinthians, he says, be an imitator of me as I am of Christ. The same is true in the Christian marriage. Wives are to imitate their husbands as the husbands are imitators of Christ. Christian husband, how much do we imitate Christ in our selfless, self-sacrificing, sanctifying love for our wife? Is our love really sanctifying? Does it really have a holy aspect to it in living out our life before her? That's one form of showing her love according to the scriptures. It's a sustaining love that should exist in marriage. Again, addressed to the husbands. So husbands ought also to love their own wives as their own bodies. He who loves his own wife loves himself. For no one ever hated his own flesh, but nourishes it and cherishes it, 
just as, exactly as Christ also does the church because we are members of his body. We ought to love our wives the way we love our own bodies. Men, how do you take care of your own bodies? Are you one that goes to the gym three times a week, a couple hours each time, six hours a week in the gym? How much time are you spending loving your wife? Husbands, are you one that spends two hours uh, waxing and and polish, washing and waxing and polishing your pickup truck? How much time do you spend polishing your wife's character by modeling the love of Christ? It's a sustaining love. The same way we love our bodies, we feed it, we nourish it, we don't just eat junk, we take care of ourselves. We ought to love our wives in the same way that we love our own bodies. This is exactly how Christ loved the church. He nourished the church. He cares for the church through his word and the Holy Spirit. It's a sustaining love. It's a love that's not just a sprint. It's a marathon. It's the long haul. It's day after day. This is our obligation, so husbands ought. That's a word of obligation. You're loving yourself when you love your wife. It's a shatterproof love. For this reason, a man shall leave his father and mother and shall be joined to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. It's a shatterproof love. How do you separate one flesh? You know, the most... The most exact image of one flesh of the husband and wife is their child. The wife contributes a little over 50% of the genetic material, of the DNA for that child. The husband, a little less if it's a boy. If it's a girl, it's 50-50. They both contribute to that child. How do you separate what belongs to the father and what belongs to the mother from that child? It's it's one united set of DNA, one flesh. You can't separate it. This is a shatterproof love that he's talking about here, the two becoming one flesh. In other words, what am I getting at here? In the Christian marriage, there is no D word, divorce. There is no D word. There are biblical grounds for divorce, but that's not what the Christian looks for. That's not the go-to option. You never enter into a marriage thinking, well, if this doesn't work out, there's always divorce. There is no D word. My wife and I, I don't know how she put up with me the first 10 years, we, we have five young couples in our young couples marriage builders group. They've heard this before. You're hearing it from me now. I don't know how she put up with me for the first 10 years. Actually, I do. We went into marriage. There was no D word. Can you imagine uh, Apollo 13? Houston, we have a problem. And the engineers there at Mission Control. 
a problem. Oh, no, that's it. Turn off the computers. We're going home. A problem. No. You work through problems. You work them when they're small so they don't become bigger. God intended marriage to be shatterproof. One flesh. The two become one flesh. Now, if, if you've experienced the tragedy, the grief, the heartache of divorce, we're going to address that. But I just want to say now, whatever marriage you're in now, your first marriage, your second marriage, your third marriage, whatever marriage it is, the marriage that you're in now is the marriage God wants to bless. That's the marriage to work on. Forget what lies behind, the scripture says. Reach forward to what lies ahead. Press on. God wants to bless the marriage you're in now. We'll talk more about divorce and remarriage in part three. And we'll get a better understanding of it. But whatever marriage you're in now, this is the shatterproof marriage that God wants to bless. You're not married to a previous spouse any longer. That marriage ended in divorce. He blesses the marriage you're in now. It's to be shatterproof. And it's in our best interests that it remains shatterproof because it's a sobering love. Paul writes, this mystery is great, but I am speaking with reference to Christ and the church. This is a sobering love. I'm not talking about alcohol here. I'm talking about our thought processes, a sober mind. Think about this correctly. Think about this accurately. He says that the marriage relationship, the two becoming one flesh, nourishing and cherishing our wife as our own body, just as Christ does the church, it's a mystery. It's a great mystery, marriage. And Paul says, I'm speaking in reference to Christ and the church. Marriage is a picture of the relationship between Christ and his church, his bride. He's known as the bridegroom in Scripture. The church is known as the bride of Christ in Scripture. Why is this so sobering? That our marriage relationship, husbands and wives, this applies to you as well, the shatterproof does, and the sobering aspect does as well, wives. Why is this so sobering? It's a picture of the relationship between Christ and the church. In Scripture, God and Christ value these pictures, these types very, very highly, because they teach important spiritual eternal truths. Our marriage relationship and the love that exists between husband and wife should accurately portray the relationship between Christ and the church and the love of Christ for the church and the devotion and commitment and love of the church for Christ. It's a picture. How highly does God value these pictures? In Exodus 17, 
after the crossing of the Red Sea, and as they're heading to Sinai, they needed water. The children of Israel that came out of bondage, out of slavery in Egypt, they needed water. And in Exodus 17, as they beg for water and plead for water, God tells Moses, strike this rock and water will come out. And he does it and water comes out and they all have water. Then in Numbers chapter 20, years later, they're thirsty again. They had run short of water again. And God tells Moses in Numbers 20, speak to that rock. Paul tells us that that rock was a picture of Christ. A picture of Christ. The way he gave forth life-saving spiritual water, that rock was giving forth life-saving physical water. Material water. That rock was a picture of Christ. But what happens in Numbers 20? Moses, instead of doing what God said, speak to the rock and water will come out. He gets angry and speaking of himself and Aaron, he says, must we give you water? And he strikes the rock again. He destroyed that picture of Christ dying once and giving forth life-saving water. He struck it again. He destroyed that picture of the rock picturing Christ. And you know what God said to him? Because you've done this, you will not enter the promised land. You'll see it from a distance, and then you'll die, and Joshua will lead the nation of Israel into the promised land. That's how highly God values these spiritual pictures. It can rob you and I of the blessing, not of salvation, but of temporal blessing, of the joy that comes from obediently following the Lord. Our marriage is a picture let none of us ever, husband or wife, strike that picture. Mar that picture of the love and relationship that exists between Christ and the church. It's serious. It cost Moses that temporal rest, that temporal blessedness and blessing in the promised land. I wonder, brothers and sisters, if sometimes... You and I, as it were, striking that beautiful picture of marriage is the reason why we sometimes don't have all the joy and blessing in the Christian life that God really intends for us to have. This is sobering. This is something to think about. How are we loving each other? Paul closes out uh, his teaching in uh, Ephesians 5 with these words. Nevertheless, each individual among you also is to love his own wife even as himself, and the wife must see to it that she respects her husband. Let me just summarize this. A wife who is submissive in the true biblical sense 
of the term will encourage her husband to live for her and love her as Christ loved the church. She won't want less love. She won't want more love. She won't want to be the idol in her husband's life. He will, she will encourage him and help him love her in the same way that Christ loved the church. And the husband who loves his wife as Christ loved the church and lays down his life daily for her will encourage her in her loving submission to his leadership, to following Christ's example. The next time we'll look at divorce and remarriage and singleness, Lord willing. And so, Christian husbands, let me ask you the same questions I asked of the Christian wives last week. Will you begin to see your marriage as part of your Christian testimony? It is a very big part of your Christian testimony, not only to your wife and your family, but to every aspect of your life. If it doesn't start at home, it's not going to start anywhere else. Today, will you begin to purpose in your heart to obey Scripture in your marriage and love your wife as Christ loved the church and laid down his life for it? Let's pray. Father in heaven, uh, we thank you for the power of your word. We thank you for the clarity of the word. We thank you for the true teacher of your word your Holy Spirit. Dear God, I pray that you would, by your Spirit, bring yourself glory by impressing these truths, not only upon our minds, but upon our hearts, that you would be patient with us, and by your indwelling Holy Spirit, you would give us the desire that you would convict us to love our wives just as you, Lord Jesus, loved your church, your bride, and gave yourself up for her. Help us, dear God, to follow the example of your one and only Son and to walk in his steps in daily, moment by moment, situation by situation, in laying down our lives for our wives and loving her the way you, Lord Jesus, loves your church. We ask all this, not simply for the blessing and benefit of our marriage, but so that our marriage brings you honor and great glory. We ask all this for your name's sake. Amen.